0: Eternal Health, episode number 38.
1: You're listening to the Eternal Health Podcast, where we discuss God's great design for your life in body, mind, and spirit. Your host is Laura Rimmer, who's a nutritionist, author, speaker, and health coach. Looking for yoga tips or the latest protein shake recommendations? I'm sorry, you're in the wrong place. If you're ready for no nonsense, multi-layered health expertise drawing on evidence-based nutrition and biblical principles, welcome to Eternal Health. For show notes and to download your free five-minute optimum health scorecard, please visit laurarimmer.com. Enjoy the show.
0: Hello there, it's Laura Rimmer. Welcome back to another episode here of Eternal Health. Hope you've had a really good week. Today, we are on episode number 38 and I'm interviewing a man called Glenn Scrivener. And the title of our episode is The Greatest Love Story is True. Now, you might be thinking, how has that got anything to do with health or eternal health? Well, it does. It has to do with our mental health our spiritual health and the greatest love story is true is also eternal so we're going to be speaking all about that today glenn scriven and my interview guest is an author a speaker and a filmmaker he's a multi-award winning filmmaker in fact whose christmas films last year were seen by a million people online he's author of six books including his most recent called long story short and glenn is very much into a health that is eternal so as i say today we are speaking about how the greatest love story is both true and eternal so a little bit cryptic but um but we'll get into the interview and you'll see exactly what it's all about if you haven't yet listened to our last episode then do go back and listen to that after this one episode number 37 on the keto diet low carb high fat and high carb low fat vegan diets compared so if you've got any interest in diet weight loss optimum health and reversing and preventing disease, then do go and listen to episode 37 of Eternal Health. Today's episode is fairly long, it's longer than normal, so please bear with me, but it's definitely worth listening to the whole thing because Glenn is such an interesting speaker, he's got a lot of interesting things and very, very important things that we cover today. So do, um, do stick with the whole episode. And his audio is not brilliant, but... Again, the content is worth listening to 100%. So yeah, if it means that you have to listen to it over a couple of sittings, then do that, but be sure to listen to the whole thing. So without further ado, then let's get into my interview with Glenn Scrivener on the greatest love story is true. So I am here today with Glenn Scrivener. Glenn is from an organization called Speak Life, And I, my husband and I have been a fan of Glenn's work for quite a few years. Glenn is someone who's very passionate about the Christian faith and Jesus and the importance of us knowing Jesus and how it's even more relevant for today or equally as relevant for today as it always has been. Um, And yeah, I'm really just enthusiastic and glad to have Glenn here to speak about some of the... You know, some of the big questions in life about life, death, faith, non faith, atheism, mm-hmm. all you know, all that kind of stuff. So welcome along, Glenn. Really glad to have you on the podcast today.
2: Ah, it's a real pleasure to be with you, Laura. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. So Glenn, let's just um start off. So you've got a bit of an Australian accent. So are are you from mm. Australia? What's your background? Where are you from?
2: <laughs> yeah, only a bit of one. That's the that's the problem. So yeah, everyone who's English thinks I sound like a convict and everyone who's Australian thinks I sound like a POM. It's it's the worst of all worlds really. Um so I grew up in Australia, grew up in, in Canberra and uh and then aged fifteen, my, my dad got a job in Wales and uh, we moved there with about five weeks notice and I kind of switched hemispheres and, and uh Uh, I've kind of been living in the UK since then, really. Give or take the odd deportation, I've mainly been in the UK um, since uh, 1993.
0: Okay. All right. Cool. And so let's just get straight in then. So we're talking things to do with faith, religion, Jesus, spirituality, the Bible today. Um, So, Glenn, you're a Christian. Why are you a Christian?
2: I'm just a big Jesus fan, really. I just, I just think he is awesome, really. And and I didn't always think that. I kind of, I grew up in a, a home that was church-going, and I would go along to church, and I would, um, you know, go to Sunday school and things, and, and would have identified as a Christian all throughout my my sort of childhood. But I guess it it, it didn 't really mean that much to me and until kind of university time when I left home and I decided uh, you know I needed to figure out things for myself and at, at that stage, I kind of put behind me uh, a childhood faith and um, didn 't go to church and wasn 't really that that interested in in Jesus or anything really and and it was just a friend who was continually telling me that, you know, would you like to come to church with me and that sort of thing. And, and I eventually, you know, caved in and went along to church with him. But I, and I just remember hating the preacher. Just every, every Sunday I would go and I would sit in the back of uh, St. Aldate's Church in Oxford and I would just fold my arms and just concentrate all my hatred on the preacher and give him the evils and, and kind of have my eyes you know, burrowing into his in, into his soul as he was preaching because he thought he was so cool. You know, he thought he was using all these uh, contemporary references to East Enders, like he's got his finger on the pulse. He doesn't know anything, and and that was sort of um, what I was thinking the whole time. But but I would go back the following Sunday, and I'd go back, I'd go back, and. And my friends sort of encouraged me to start reading the Bible with him, and, and it was kind of the first time I'd really considered these things as an, as an adult. And it just really struck me as I was reading through the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, I just thought, oh my goodness, this Jesus person, he is a game changer. You know, if, if it's just about a distant God who's got a thunderbolt ready to hurl, then I, I can't get too excited about that. Um, but if, if it's Jesus who comes and stoops and serves and suffers and bleeds and dies for me, if that's what God's like, I'm in. And I just remember really, really powerfully, you know, feeling that around age 21 and, and just thinking, look, it's not that I'm favorably disposed to the idea of God. Um, I'm not really. But if, if God is like Jesus, then count me in because here's he a God who actually loves me more than his own life. So that's, that's really what kind of changed my outlook um, almost 20 years ago now. And, and I haven't looked back. Hmm.
0: So that was 20 years ago. So how has that shaped your life since then, then, Glenn?
2: Well, I, I think, you know, J- Jesus said, um, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I, I just think that's a really um, basic truth of human psychology, that, that whatever absolutely grips you um, will come out of you. And and I guess sort of for sort of the last twenty years I've, I've just been babbling on about Jesus and you know wh- whatever you get passionate about it does absolutely shape your life and so I've I've been seeking in the last twenty years or so to um, to get into situations where I can explain Jesus to, to other people and, and tell people that the greatest love story you could ever imagine is actually true. Um, I I just think that's a sensational message to bring to the world. The greatest love story you could ever imagine is true. And And it's definitely the greatest love story because here is the one who is the most powerful person in the world who actually puts himself into the pit that we've made for ourselves so that we can be with him forever. You know, So it's the greatest stooping you could imagine to the greatest depth of love in order to sweep us up into this eternal romance. So I, I just think if that's true, then the world needs to hear. So in various ways, I've been trying to tell people that message ever since.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So gonna ask a question? You must hear this a lot because um, I'm, I'm, you know, my listeners most, most of them will know that I, I totally agree with you. I had a similar experience. I wasn't predisposed to religion or God. Um, and I had friends telling me about Jesus for about two years or more before i came to faith and it was getting on my nerves at one point i had these three people around me and they just kept systematically telling me the gospel and i was like why don't Uh, why don't they just shut up oh i know they're so annoying (laughs) and (laughs) and it got to the point where i thought why am i hanging around with these people i'm a new ager don't they know i'm into like the law of attraction and stuff they should really respect that and stop trying to push their values on me you know um Mm. until (laughs) the lord broke in and um for, so for me, I, I got to the point of really despair when I was heavily into the New Age. I just found the more I, the more I tried to deepen my faith and have this relationship with a, an as the opposite of what you're describing in Jesus and an impersonal God. The more confused mm. I got, the more into my own yeah pit and mess I got. So I got to the point of just crying out to God, whoever it, he, she was, and said, mm. "If there's a God, and I, I know there is a God." please show me the way and instantly it was like a conviction that just shook me to my core jesus it's jesus and i wanted to kind of bulk against that and say no no i went to church as a kid i looked at the you know i looked at the bible it's not for me thank you and again it was like jesus separate all that religiosity out just look to jesus so like you i went well went straight into town bought myself a bible read through the gospels and i was like whoa okay this is true look at this man look at what he does like this isn't new age fluff this is real um so what would you say then to people who you know our listener might might be thinking that's yeah that's great for you glenn you've had this experience if you know if that works for you that's wonderful laura yeah Mm. fine Mm, can't you just keep that to yourself so you don't have to push this faith on me? I, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right in my own life, thank you, with my own values and interests and hobbies and maybe religion or no religion. Like, what is it with you Christians trying to tell us about, about this? What, what would you say to that?
2: Well, it's interesting you said that your friends should know that you were into the laws of attraction and that sort of thing. And, and why should they know that? They should know that because you were enthusiastic about it because it had, it had kind of, you know, it, it, it had kind of resonated with your soul on some level. And so you spoke to them about it. And and all I'm saying is that, you know, shouldn't Christians have exactly the same right to, to speak of that which has resonated with our souls? You know, so it it is just this, Very deep law of 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 human psychology that from the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks and you know so I I think I should have at least the same rights to be able to talk to people about you know what what it is that's that's absolutely captivated me and you know I mean the the beautiful thing about Christianity is that it is a faith it's it's not something I can compel anyone to have you know Christianity. Um, does not spread by the sword. Uh, it certainly shouldn't spread by the sword. And anyone who's tried to spread Christianity by the sword um, has, has done so completely against what Jesus has, has told us to do. He says, put away the sword. And, and instead, his is a message of love that is meant to persuade people. And that, that's what faith is. It's being persuaded that the love of Jesus is trustworthy. Um, so I, I can't... I can't convert anybody, I can't make them believe, Um, but I I think I should be able to speak about what has captivated me, and and what I experience is that a lot of people don't want to know what I I have to talk about, but, but a lot of people start to say, you know what, love really is the greatest thing, and maybe that's because the greatest thing, God, is love. Maybe there is this, this Jesus shaped God that you, you talk about, Glenn, and, and people start to get persuaded, and, and that's the way it happens. But it's, it's not because I ram it down people's throats, it's just that it, it kind of bubbles up out of my throat because from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks.
0: What about then? So. The sense that I'm getting is there's a lot of um, emotion, and you're saying about how you know love people want love, and and you you found that in in Jesus, and so I'm getting the kind of emotional side of things here. How how rational is Christianity?
2: Well, I mean, for a start, love is not just an emotion, is it? I mean, love if you know if all we mean by love is uh, emotions, well, you can you can get that from eating a Snickers bar, really. Um, uh, if it and if it's just about a kind of an emotional high, then, you know, um, you know, that's, that's certainly no basis on which to build lasting relationships. You can't, you can't build a marriage on pheromones. You can't, you know, so when I say love, I mean, um, personal self-giving, self-sacrificing, suffering for the sake of another. You know, the word passion is derived from the word, you know, to suffer, to suffer on behalf of somebody else. So, so when I talk about love, I'm talking about a blood-earnest kind of sacrificial thing. Um, but is it also a rational thing? It is totally a, a, a rational thing um, as well. So um, one name for Jesus is he is the Logos in Greek, and the word logos means rationality, it means truth, so Jesus Jesus is a, a kind of a truth, but he's the kind of truth that comes down from heaven in order to earth himself into our situation and, and he can therefore be examined. He can be studied. You can you can do good history on Jesus. You can pick up these, these gospel biographies like you've done, Laura, and, and 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 you can um you can look at the person of Jesus and and investigate him historically, and, and you can then, as C.S. Lewis said, who who was, you know, no slouch intellectually, C.S. Lewis, the, the author of the Narnia books, but he was also a professor of uh, of uh, English uh, at, at Oxford University, and, and uh, one of the great kind of uh, speakers and authors about Christianity in the 20th century. You know, he, he said that Jesus is like the sun. Uh, you can look at the sun and see that it exists, but also you can look at everything else, by the light of the sun, and you can see that the sun exists. There's two ways of sort of establishing the existence and the, and the meaningfulness of the sun. You look at it directly, which is probably you know not the wisest thing to <laughs> do um, in the physical one, but but also you can look at everything else by the sun. And and I think intellectually, um, not only do I examine Jesus by looking through the the historical documents, um, the gospels, but also I look at everything else in the world. And, and, I, and I say to myself, you know what? Everything that I most value in this world is about love. It is about that kind of self-giving sacrifice. You know, today will be a good day if when my head hits the pillow, I've had good face-to-face relationships. Um, and today will be a terrible day if I've had bad face-to-face relationships. You know, I kind of, I look at the world and I think everyone is, is running around as though love is the greatest thing. Well, Here is Jesus, and I I think he is the sun that shines onto the world, and and his sunshine explains the sparkle. Um, The fact that he is the Logos, he is the rationality behind this universe, who has loved us to hell and back, I just think that makes sense of the world. So not only does love kind of resonate with my heart and makes me think emotionally this is true, but I also start to reason it out, and I start to think, wow, if reality really does have love at its core, then it's also the most rational thing in the world to start believing in Jesus. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's either or. I I think you can have your cake and eat it with Jesus.
0: Mm, absolutely, yeah, I totally agree. And and if you look in you know Col- Colossians, the book of Colossians and the New Testament, when it talks about you know Jesus is the Creator, He created everything. Right. Everything was created by Him and through Him and for Him. So it, it, you can't you can't really experience any aspect of life any good thing in life apart from Jesus can you which which that might be news to some people um but but that's right. the the reality that's what the bible talks about isn't it
2: yeah i often say you know he didn't just invent a religion he invented the universe um so like yeah the, the stuff that we that we already love i think is a reflection of his characteristics of his his personality. Um, so. Again, to come to Jesus is not to come to this fringe figure who started one religion among many, and you know. But it it is to come to the very you know. I think the solar system revolves around the the sun, the S O N, the the Son of God. I, I, so I really. I really don't think I'm trying to, when I'm trying to tell people about Jesus, trying to get them off into this fringe activity called Christianity. And, you know, some people are into Formula One and some people are into basket weaving, and I happen to have a Jesus thing going. I, I honestly happen to think that when you come and you, you look full in the face of Jesus and, and you see this God who has loved you to hell and back, you, you are looking at ultimate reality. So, yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So let's just extend that a little bit then so and this is you know this is a sensitive question and again we acknowledge people listening to this podcast we'll all be on different stages of their journey in terms of you know life experience spirituality worldview all that kind of stuff but why can we not just pick any religion or none glenn why why are we saying that it has to be a a faith in jesus
2: well, I think, you know, I, I encourage people to have a look around and, and to see what is on offer um, in the various worldviews. views. Um, and, and I think what strikes me again and again, as, as I try to, as fairly as possible, kind of look at the New Age and look at Islam and look at Buddhism and look at Hinduism and look at various kinds of atheism, um, when, when, I, when I try to have a look at all those things, um, a number of things strike me, and perhaps just you know, for the sake of time, I'll just identify one. And and it would be, I think, with Jesus, he alone is able to tell us that love is ultimate. Right. So that that might sound. You know, shocking or surprising, and, and people might mishear me at that point to say that, you know, people from other religions can't love, and I don't believe that at all. I, I, I think um, I have Muslim friends who love far better than I love, I have atheist friends who are far more loving than I am loving. But then my question is, why do we think love is the greatest thing? Because if I, if I was an atheist, I would have to conclude that the psychology of love just boiled down to biology, and biology just boiled down to chemistry, and chemistry just boiled down to physics. And at the end of the day, I'm just quarks and leptons leaping around and bumping into each other, and I've kind of lost love you know, love at that point would be that's the thin icing on the cake. But underneath the icing, there's not actual cake; it's just rubble. I think in the in the atheistic worldview, I I do think that ultimately, if we are just matter in motion, then as Richard Dawkins says, he he says um, at bottom in the universe there is nothing but blind, pitiless indifference, and 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 that's him looking full square at his own worldview. And and I really. Um, I really like that about Richard Dawkins, that he, he just gets real, and he says, if this is what we are, then this is the the, the consequence. We are, you know, underneath there is just blind, pitiless, indifference, but in the Bible, there's a great line that Moses uses in, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, he says, underneath are the everlasting arms, which is just such a different picture to the Richard Dawkins picture, and, and because... Jesus is the eternal Son of the Father, filled with the Holy Spirit. According to the Bible, you know, before there was a world, there was love, because there was always this Father loving His Son, Jesus, in the joy of the Spirit. So if I want love to be ultimate, I can't get it from atheism. I I can't get it from Islam, because in in Islam, um, God is not Father. So it's really adamant, you know, within the Quran, um, you know, Allah is not a father and he has no son. That, that is absolutely foundational to Muslim belief. And, and so before the world began, there was not a father loving his son in the joy of the spirit. There was just Allah by himself. And so I'm not saying anything controversial at this point to say that actually before the world began, um, Allah was powerful. He was supreme. He was alone. But he was not love because there was no one for him to love. And, and so again, love is not ultimate. Or if I come across to um, more new age beliefs, I love talking to new age people ab- ab- about ultimate reality and, and they are very up for those kinds of conversations. Um, but so often when I have those conversations, to push through to ultimate reality it 's not about a personal love for them, but it is more about an energy or a vibration. Um, the ultimate reality is not personal um, and and that's that that is true in the eastern religions when you when you push through even when you push through the the millions of Hindu deities, actually Brahman above it all is is an impersonal one. Um, or within Buddhism, again, it's, it's a, a non-theistic religion. And so there, there's not a personal oneness that you're meant to have in Buddhism. You, the oneness you have with the cosmos is to dissolve into the cosmos as a drop of water into the ocean. So again, uh, there is so much I can learn from Buddhism, so much I can learn from Hinduism, so much I can learn from Islam and from atheists and all the rest of it. But I just think on this love question... It it is Jesus who allows you to say, underneath are the everlasting arms. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, great. Well put. Thank you. Um, So... I, I, heard, I heard you say something a little while ago, Glenn, when I was looking at one of your videos um, and you've got a great YouTube channel. Your Speak Speak Life YouTube channel is, is really great. Um, I was saying to oh, you before, before the show, we, um, my husband and I run a youth group and we often use your just, they're short videos for the most part, aren't they? Um, you know, five, 10 minutes of, um, and I love your monologues as well. You do about faith issues. And so, yeah, really great YouTube channel. But um, I heard you say in one of your videos, the Bible is such an immense influence on our culture that even our problems with the Bible have been given to us by the Bible. Um, what do you mean by that?
2: Well, just think of any um, bog-standard objection to to the stuff that's in the Bible. And actually, what people are saying at that point is, um, you know, i read this Old Testament thing and it didn't sound very Christian. <laughs> like, actually, um, yeah, that, that's often the 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 way people come at it. So um, there are Old Testament wars, for instance, um, in which um, Israel, the people of God, go up against you know much bigger armies, and it, they are David versus Goliath kind of cases and that sort of thing. Um, but as a Christian, I read that too, and I, I get a lump in my throat because I think, oh gosh, um, this is this doesn't sound like. Jesus, because Jesus said, put away your sword, and those who live by the sword will die by the sword, and turn the other cheek, and love your enemies, and, and my kingdom is not from this, this world. And Jesus said lots of things. And, and so what's interesting is, is, even as a Christian, I read the Old Testament, and I need to do some processing about how I read those passages, and of course, no, no Christian reads about those Old Testament wars and themselves then goes, picks, picks up a sword and, and goes into battle. We've been forbidden to do that by Jesus. But I think even the culture that we live in in the West has been so soaking in the Jesus story for 2,000 years now that we really have imbibed his views on on violence, for instance. Um, So when Jesus says, turn the other cheek, like we actually. We still have uh, a respect for that as teaching, which is astonishing because everyone else, every every other culture just thinks that's nuts, that's weird. Why would you do that? If someone strikes you one cheek, you you hit back twice as hard, don't you? Um, But actually, no, Jesus has taught our culture um, how, to deal with, how to deal with violence and, and, you know, the mercy and the kindness that he wants us to have in all those interactions um, had just settled down into the Western personality so that even if someone is not a Christian, they have inherited so much of the way of Jesus just by being a Westerner, just by, just by living in a culture that has been shaped by the Bible. And so what you find is when people sort of then critique the Bible, almost every single time someone has a criticism about, about the Bible, it's, it's kind of because they're already standing on another part of the Bible. They're already assuming another part of the Bible. Um... And at that point, I just kind of invite them um, into the Bible's world in which, yeah, it is, it is a bit weird, isn't it? That in the Old Testament, there were these just wars. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, don't pick up the sword. Um, and I don't, I don't feel threatened by the, by the fact that both things are in the Bible. Um, I think it's part of the narrative that the Bible's telling, and there's a story and there's a journey um, that, that the people of God go on um, in order to get to Jesus. Um, but I, I just think whatever accusation someone makes of the Bible, it's almost always, because they're assuming something quite Christian, um, and that, that Christian instinct that they have, because they've lived in the West, is informing how they how they critique the Bible.
0: Yes, yeah. So on on the topic of the Bible, then you've just released a book called Long Story Short, which is, it's about the Bible. So what are you specifically trying to do in that book? What What's the book about?
2: It's just introducing people to the grand sweep of the Bible. The Bible is this immense book. It has absolutely built your world. It's, it, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, it has built your world. If Whether you're a Christian or not, you think so many things that you think because of the Bible. And you, you, you just take them for granted. Every, everybody just takes them for granted. It's like, you know, you tell a fish, you know, it's wet. And the fish says, well, what's, what's water? I don't know what water is. Um, the Bible is that that powerful in our culture. And so, uh, you know, do we know what the Bible actually says? Do we, do we, have we actually taken the time to go on the, on the Bible's journey from Genesis to Revelation? And, and so what the book does is it takes you um, through the Bible story in 12 short chapters, and the 12 chapters are based on uh, famous phrases that have just passed into common parlance. Um, and I've, I've, I did that because I just wanted to show people how, how much we're swimming in, in, you know, the water of biblical thoughts. So, um, you know, things like as old as Adam or things like um, uh, he got carried away or the heavens opened or, or things like, or Damascus Road experience or a, a burning bush or things like that. Um, these are all phrases that are passed into common parlance. There are literally hundreds of them, but I've just taken 12 phrases that people will know from, from everyday speech and just use them to tell a different aspect of the Bible story. So from Genesis to Revelation, we take 12 stops along the way, and, uh, and you just get an overview of the Bible story. It assumes no prior knowledge. I haven't you know, used any sort of Christian jargon or that sort of thing. So hopefully it's something that you can pick up, whether you're a Christian or not, and just really get into this book that has shaped our world.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. So if... Yeah, if our listener is has not read any of the Bible before and and is curious and thinking, yeah, you know what, I'd I'd like to explore this. Is is this a good starting point then?
2: Yeah, that's why I've written it. That's absolutely why I've written it. So, you know, if you are a believer, I, I hope it will refresh your faith and show you how Jesus is at the heart of the Bible, right from the Old Testament to the, to, to the New. Um, but I also hope if you're, if you're not a believer, I've, I've really written it with, with you in mind, actually. Um, so as a student, no prior knowledge. I'm not trying to use any Christian jargon. I just want to have a fresh look at this, this book that's shaped our world.
0: Mm, that sounds great I wish it had been out when I became Christian because I yeah I felt that kind of dauntedness of this is a huge right. book and you know I read through yeah. the gospels and, and gleaned yeah I, I gleaned enough for salvation through that I, you know it was such a far cry Glen, reading starting off in Matthew and just reading through to John it was such a far cry from the new age kind of I just call it spiritual fluff that I'd read before mm. things like I don't know, like the Tao de Ching and all this ethereal kind of there is a way. And as soon as you think you know the way, the way is no longer the way. And you know, it was just there was a lot of this. I'm I was grasping to find something solid that I could hold on to and and you know, run with in not just a, a practical sense, but that that made sense of life and the struggles I was having and there wasn't anything. So when I found the Bible when I'd gone through the Gospels, I went back to Genesis and and just felt really quite daunted by it. Um, so actually, I just went onto YouTube and found a lot of the little um, like Bible storybook cartoons and started there. And yeah. I was on them for months until I graduated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's, yeah, that is, it's really good that you've produced a, an accessible thing for non-Christians, new Christians to to get into the Bible because you know and i'm sure you would agree getting into reading the bible is is one of the well probably the well it is it's the best thing that 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 you can do and the best undertaking you can ha- take in your life um and i say that as someone who's been on a constant journey of kind of self-development and business and health and all sorts of things, Mm -hmm. but you won't get any better than the Bible from certainly, yeah, you know, you can find a lot of practical things in there, but most importantly, you'll discover Jesus and this man that, you know, that Glenn and I are talking about, who's fully man, but also fully God. and, And he's the one that can refresh your soul, give you salvation. And so, yeah. Yeah, do, mm. do pick up a Bible and, and read it, and Glenn's book.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you, you can go to longstoryshort.info and uh, read the first chapter, and I just, yeah, I just um, urge people to just read that first chapter where I basically say, I, the, the phrase is, in the beginning, um, and it just starts in Genesis, you know, the creation story is in the beginning, and I just meditate on that idea. What do you think was there in the beginning? Do you think there was nothing in the beginning? Do you think there was chaos? Do you think there was just a power? Or do you think there was love? Um, and yeah, you can re- you can read that first chapter there, and if that hooks you, you uh, you can get the book and uh, and read more. Cool, cool. Okay,
0: so um, another topic. So relativism. We're in a society where it's commonly it's a commonly held belief that your truth is right for you, my truth is right for me. I won't judge you. You if you don't judge me. And, you know, we can all coexist, we can all have our own values, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, impinge on anyone else's values. Why is and I heard a preacher about a year ago, say this phrase, and it stuck with me. So I'm going to ask you this. Why is Jesus not like ice cream? Why isn't he just like a a preference? As in, it's my truth that I like vanilla ice cream, you might like strawberry ice cream, like that. That's cool. That if that, If that's your truth, I'm totally cool with that. It has no consequences for anyone. Why is Jesus not just a preference?
2: Well, you know, it's important to say that there are lots of things in life that are just preferences. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to judge you for your musical taste. I'm not going to judge you if, you know, you, you like this kind of box set and not that kind of box set. Um there are, lo- there are lots of things um, and, and there are lots of even ethical questions that are difficult and that are tricky. And, um, yeah, and you do need to look from different perspectives and different angles. And so if, if people um, if people want to highlight the need to value lots of perspectives um, and to say there's not just one way and, and that sort of thing, I, I think that's true in lots of ways. So there are lots of things that are like... The ice cream parlor that has 99 flavors. I think that's great. And I can go into the ice cream parlor and I can have any one of those 99 flavors. But there are some things that are not like that. So I can't go into the pharmacy and treat it like it's the ice cream parlor, can I? I can't go in and just say, you know, I, I fancy the blue ones with the yellow, <laughs> with the yellow spots on today. Or, or you, know, you know, sir, have you tried the purple ones? Oh, no, give, give, give me five purple ones, and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Thank you, pharmacist. We, we all recognize that there are some things that are not like the ice cream parlor, that are not simply matters of taste. And I think when you, when you see that the name Jesus means Savior, you're getting to the heart of, of what he's offering. He's not just offering a, a different flavor of spirituality. He's actually offering to, to save us from the deepest corruption in our hearts and souls. Um, he's, he's, a, he's actually a lot more like the pharmacist who's got a, a, you know a pill that we really, really need. He's not, he's not just like the, the, you know, the, the ice cream parlor, um, you know, person at the till trying to, trying to offer you a, a different flavor. So I, I think we just need to say that there, there are some things that are so serious that I need the right kind of doctor to deal with the, the, the disease that I've got. And, and the Bible diagnoses that I've got a problem. My, my problem is, though God might be love, I turn away from love and I live in disconnection and I live, you know, hating and being hated. And, uh, I've got this, this weird, horrible dark heart that is kind of able to harm the people I love the most. Isn't that, isn't that horrific? You know, you, when I think about the people I love the most, I actually end up harming them more than I end up harming like other people people in the world, and he's like, what is wrong with me? And the Bible says, yeah, that there is this real sin problem. And actually, only Jesus is kind of offering to take that on himself, and to, to take it down to the, to the hellish death that it deserves, and to, to rise up and offer me a new kind of life. So, for, for that reason, I need to take, you know, Jesus the doctor very, very seriously, because he, he diagnoses my problem correctly, and, and he alone has that kind of solution for it.
0: But what about, say so you mentioned that, you know, the people closest to you can often hurt the most. Isn't that just because, you know, we might have had a bad day or that person was just really pushing our buttons. And if they'd only acted yeah. in a different way, we might have been more kind or whatever. Aren't we all yeah. like deep down? Are, do we, are people not good?
2: Um, you know, there's, there's goodness to me and there's goodness to you and there's badness to me and there's badness to you. And, and it's both. But to keep the analogy of sickness going, um, it doesn't matter if most of the cells in my body are not cancerous. If some of them are, I'm in trouble, you know? Um, and so, and I think that disease analogy kind of works all throughout the Bible. But yeah, there's all sorts of health to me and there's all sorts of liveliness to me, even just as a, as a human person, a biological, physical entity. There's all sorts of health and, and, and vitality to me, but... There's also all sorts of death and disease to me as well. I'm both at the same time. And at some point, the, that kind of death and disease nature to me catches up with me. And, and the Bible just says, look, you know, we're all meant to live forever. That's, you know, that's, that's a claim that's there in the Bible. We're meant to live forever, and we will live forever. But the big question is, do I want that death and disease to keep on having its way with me? forever and ever and ever. That sounds horrendous. That, that sounds like what Jesus describes as the outer darkness, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, that's, that's not what I want. I need to get healed from that. If I'm going to live forever, I need to get healed from that, that tendency to go wrong and to lash out at other people. Um, and th- that's what Jesus offers. Mm.
0: So w- it, just for, the, um, for clarity for our audience then, so a heaven and hell—real places, then you say about you know living forever—and this podcast called Eternal Health. So we're, you know, mm. I'm alluding to eternal life. What what is that eternal life? How does that pan out, depending on our relationship with Jesus?
2: I, yeah, I love the way you phrase that because it is about our relationship with Jesus. I, I think so often, even Christians think in terms of, you know what eternal life is? Eternal life is this, um, you know, spiritual Novocaine in the ninth dimension. And it's this entirely ethereal thing. Um, and yet Jesus says in, in John chapter 17, verse three, this is eternal life to know God through knowing me. That's, that's what he says. Like it's, eternal life is actually having a connection with God through Jesus. It's, it's, it's actually getting reconnected back to the life source. Um, and if we're not reconnected to the life source, then we are kind of perishing. We're like we're like a you know the uh, a cut flower. You know, a, a cut flower is 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 disconnected from its life source, and it might look and smell great for a bit, but it's perishing. Um, and and that's that's the problem. So it needs to get reconnected to its life source. So yeah, I I just say, look, if it's true that we live forever. We need to live forever connected to Jesus. And that and that's my definition of heaven. My definition of heaven is life with Jesus. That begins now and it goes on forever. So the eternal health that he is kind of inviting us into is a connection with jesus that that kind of lasts forever and you look at the end of the gospels when when jesus rises from the dead he's showing us what his kind of eternal health looks like what does the future look like at the end of the gospels well jesus when he rises from the dead he goes for long country walks with his friends he stays up late talking to friends, you know, late into the night about the stuff that really matters. He goes for fishing, fishing with friends, there's barbecues on the beach, there's feasting, family, peace, grace, and Jesus, our battle-scarred brother, face-to-face. You know, that, that's the eternal health that he's inviting us into. Um, and then, but there is that other, that other side to it. If you, if you don't want Jesus, then if he's the light... And you don't want the light. If after the end of everything, after the end of everything, you still don't want Jesus, and He is the light, then there is the darkness. And I, I, I don't know precisely what that looks like or what that is. But Jesus does talk about it. There is that darkness. There is that being outside the feast. Um, and and that's that's an eternal reality as well. And I know these are big things. So you need you need to figure out a, you know, is Jesus who He says He is, and 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 B. Do we live forever? Um, but if those, if those two things are true, then it's really, really vital that we, that we get that connection with Jesus.
0: How do we th- figure those things out, Glenn?
2: Well, I think the way you did it is brilliant. You know, pick up those Gospels, pick up those, those biographies of Jesus, um, maybe start in Matthew, or my favourite one is, is, Luke, um, is John's Gospel, rather, John... Um, was, you know, one of Jesus' best friends, and it's this uh, gospel that begins by saying, you know, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos. In the beginning was Jesus. Jesus is this cosmic figure who didn't just invent a religion, he invented the universe. But then it, you know, talks about the the glory of Jesus and, and, and the way he just absolutely loves those who are downtrodden, and he lifts them up. And yet, those who are so full of themselves, he kind of pricks their pride and brings them back down to, to size. And, and he's just full of that grace and that truth and that truth and that grace. And, you know, and I'd just recommend shooting up a prayer and saying, Jesus, if you're real, show me. It's one of those no lose propositions, isn't it? Because, you know, if he's not there, then he's not going to answer you. But if he is there, wouldn't it be astonishing if, if he is what God is like? So I'd, I'd do that and, and maybe get along to a church or uh, find another Christian, because Christianity is kind of a team sport as well. Um, you know, is there someone else who, who knows Jesus who you can chat this stuff out with? Um, so those, those three things I'd, I'd say, yeah, what about the Bible? What about prayer? What about church community? Um, and just, you know, I, I just think it would be the most wonderful thing if Jesus is really what God's like. So I, I, I just urge listeners to to take the plunge and, and, and try and find out if that's the case.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right about it being a team sport. I now look back at those three people that were witnessing to me and really getting on my nerves and I'm like, Jesus, I am so thankful for them. Thank you for putting them in my life and for them loving me enough to persist when I was kind of showing apathy strokes, slight annoyance. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I don't know, maybe people are afraid. I speak to people and they say, oh yeah, I, ooh, it's, it's a bit scary though. What I don't know what would happen if I was to become a Christian. Um, and I, I was actually speaking to a young lad last week and he, and he was interested, I was telling him about Jesus. And then he kind of like, you could see him kind of flinch. And I said, oh, what, what's the matter? And he said, well, none of my family are Christian. I said, okay, y- yeah. That, and that's, you know, that's a reality for some of us. I was the first one in my family to become Christian praise the Lord. My dad, a few months after I did at age 70, also became a Christian. So, but you know, we, you take that first step and Jesus guides us. It's not as if we have to get everything sewn up beforehand. We have to know all the answers and, you know, but the thing that you can know and take, um, reassurance in is that, if you've got a personal relationship with the God of the universe, the all powerful, as Glenn's you know, described really well, this loving Jesus, then he's going to take care of you. So and he yeah. he'll be gentle, you know, little step at a time. But it is it's very much um, it's a personal relationship and um Yeah. And as you also said, totally different to um, this impersonal kind of relationship, which many spiritual people, you know, I would have considered myself for years, someone who's highly spiritual, having this, you know, doing faith on my own, trying to like, you know, I'd go into... I remember a few times just going into pubs and just blessing everyone thinking I'm connected to all these people on a very deep spiritual level and um, Mm. you know I very much bought into kind of pantheism I guess that we're all connected we're all part of this cosmic consciousness and and that was all very well but it can also be quite dangerous in a way because I found myself putting myself into situations where I was seeking to have a love and a connection with people but oftentimes people who i was seeking to do that with weren't thinking the same thoughts as me and so i Mm. you know i mean this is slightly side issue but but the point is that with jesus you're in very very safe hands
2: right right and and it it all all boils down to him so it's 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 a little bit like a marriage you know when you when you get married you know everything about your spouse no do you know everything about the shape that your life is now going to take? No, because, you know, maybe your spouse gets gets ill, you know, the week after honeymoon and, and everything about your marriage, you know, goes in a different direction and you, you just, you can't make those promises about the future. But do you know enough to commit yourself to this person? Has this person proved themselves trustworthy so that whatever happens, come what may, um, this is the person that you want to handle those problems with? And, and, you know, I, I just think it's the same with Jesus, you know, you, you won't know everything about Jesus. I, I don't know everything about Jesus. I don't know everything about Christianity. Far from it. But I've seen enough in Jesus to be able to trust him and to be able to trust him with the things I don't know yet. So that's, that's just, again, that's just the, the one question. Who is this Jesus? Is he trustworthy?
0: Okay, so just got a couple more questions, Glenn. I want to ask you about um, about what's going on with, with your organization, Speak Life and, and the work you're doing there in, in a second before we wrap up. But just, I'm going to throw a bit of another kind of provocative question in the mix, given that, you know, yeah, we're opening up this discussion here and bringing in really relevant things to our society and, and age as we are now. What, I hear a lot of people say, you know, what have you Christians got against um You know gay relationships and and homosexuality and and gay marriage. What what's your response to that?
2: I think you've got to start from the foundations, which is that it is all about love and and that what what The Bible is giving you is not um, you know, the, the centerpiece of Christianity is not ethics and it's certainly not sexual ethics um, the centerpiece of, of Christianity is this this love story, and and so I think the, the five foundations I think for the Christian sexual ethic, um, if, you know, and, and again, this is this is only for you know if you want to come in on Jesus, this is kind of what he says about sex. So I'm not I'm not at all interested in legislating for the bedrooms of the culture, um, and you know I don't think the Bible is that interested in that either. Um, but if you want to come in on this love story, here here are the five foundations for for the way Christians think about sex. And I, I think God is love, um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bound together in, in, in that that kind of self-giving love in which the Father is not the same as the Son and the Son is not the same as the Father and the Spirit is, is, is a, a distinct person as well. So it's love across differences. Okay, so you've got God is, is love and that kind of love. History is a love story. I think the, um, the Bible, and long story short, my book is, is trying to, like, relate this, that actually right from verse 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And heavens is masculine, and earth is feminine. And that, that works in Hebrew, it works in Greek, it works, it works in all the, the, uh, the romance languages. Actually, what we've got is heaven and earth. You're meant to look at heaven and earth and think, No, oh, those two should get together. Um, and kind of by the end of the Bible, they do get together, because the one from heaven, Jesus Christ, kind of marries humanity from earth. And in that cosmic union, you know, all of heaven and earth are put back together again. So history is a love story, according to the Bible. Um, but then thirdly, um, the third foundation is that our bodies are temples. Um, my body is not so much uh, uh, a playground. My body is a temple. And that, that's different. Um, uh, a fourth foundation is that my gender is a gift it's, it's not something that i self create it's it's more it's more like the gift that a friend gives to you you know they give you a, a book of kind of french poetry or something you think what do you even know me french poetry but you know you get past chapter 1 and and maybe you start to see that your friend does know you and does know how you tick and i think gender is like that you know we, we get given a gender and i'm not sure i quite like my gender i'm not sure you know, there's, there's God no one doing giving me this gender. It doesn't seem like a great fit, but now no, God does know me and, and there's something to be lived into there. Gender is a gift. And then finally, sex is proclamation. It's not just procreation and it's not just recreation. But For the Christian, um, for me to be in a sexual relationship with my wife is to proclaim something about the cosmic romance between heaven and earth, between father and son. And it's a love across differences. So you put those five sort of foundations together, and the Christian position is that sex is this proclamation of the cosmic romance. It belongs within within marriage between a man and a woman, um, and it doesn't belong anywhere else. Actually, says the Bible. You know, and, G- and Jesus says, you know, outside of that context, don't even think about it. You know, Matthew chapter five, don't even lust, don't even think about sex outside of that. You know, context. And everyone, even in the Bible's day, who heard that went that that is a high standard Jesus are you serious um and jesus is serious about that high standard and he's also forgiving of those who failed to meet that high standard um and it, it, it's very important to say that because I don't live up to the bible's standards on sex and and no christian does you know i'm a I'm a sinner in terms of my sex life in terms of uh, as just as I'm a sinner in terms of everything else but those are the foundations that the Bible is, is working from, and I, and, my, and I know that that is different from what the world thinks, right? The world does not think in those terms at all. Um, um, but the Bible was never just mirroring the views of the surrounding culture. So the Old Testament sexual ethics were were totally different from the Assyrian sexual ethics and the Egyptian sexual ethics of the day. The New Testament sexual ethics are totally different from the Greco-Roman sexual ethics around them. So the Bible's never been just giving you what the world thinks. The Bible's always been doing this really, really different thing. But my plea would just be, if you move away from the Bible's foundations, you're moving away from love. You know, because the world does not want to say that God is love. The world just wants to say that underneath everything there's blind, pitiless, indifference. The world does not say that history is a love story. The world says that history belongs to the strong. Um, The world does not say that your body is a temple. The world says that your body is a playground. Um, the world does not say that your gender is a gift the The burden for us today is that we we need to somehow construct our own genders and i I just think that actually in the long run we're not meant to have to do that, and that's a burden that is too great for us to carry and the bible's and 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 the Bible says that sex is for proclamation but but I think in the world's eyes, you know sex is just for procreation or recreation, and I just think the Bible's got better news on that um that actually sex is connected to the stars and it's connected to this cosmic romance that's the best i can do at sort of uh, at representing the bible's sexual ethics but i'm sure lots of people have come back on that Mm,
0: no i think that's really helpful that's really helpful and um so it it really is nothing new that that christian ethics on on sexuality or the bible's ethics is standing against kind of the cultural norms um and i think yeah it's something that that struck me recently is is the issue of um boundaries and i was reading a study which was talking about children in playgrounds and there's two sets of two sets of school children and in one Mm. set of playgrounds and there was um given a clear fence around the playground and in the other um set of schools then there was no fence around the perimeter of the playground and what they found was rather than the children with no boundaries kind of you know doing what they want and they were much more free. It was quite the opposite. Without a perimeter, without a clear boundary, the the children kind of huddled in the middle, felt very unsure, they didn't play freely whereas right. the children with the very clear perimeter and fence that was given, you know, in this kind of context in love by, the, you know, the the school headmaster who who put that in place for the children's safety, then the children played freely they enjoyed themselves and they used that whole space and um and you know when people i mean my family have said to me isn't it very restrictive when i got married to my husband they said what you're saving yourself for marriage isn't that weird don't you need to live with someone beforehand to get to know them and isn't that very yeah restrictive and it's like well no actually it's it's not it's Mm. quite freeing and and as you say you know god god is this this is a christian thing so we certainly wouldn't impose these values on on the society but if we are going to come into this love story god puts these boundaries in place and it's out of his wisdom and his love for us so for us to try and make our own um you know set of rules is is really kind of not to acknowledge the 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 all-knowing and all-powerful god so
1: and I don't
2: think it acknowledges the true nature of what sex is. Because I, I I think of sex as like this holy fire. It is this wild, dangerous, intense thing that, you know, fires create community. Don't don't they you know, you light the bonfire, and around comes the community and, and but it's also wild and it's dangerous and it and it could devour you. Um and I just, I just I just think the Bible says, okay, it is a holy fire. And here is this kind of concrete fire pit. That is, this is the safe place for the fire to really burn, um, and within the loving relationship of marriage, this is this is where the fire most naturally burns. And I think when you take it out of that context, it's like saying, "Let's have a cardboard fire pit." Should we have a cardboard fire pit, um, a much, you know, a, a much much thinner walls between you and the and the fire and, and and, and I just think that's so dangerous, and, and people just get so hurt in that. And I, and I think, you know, so it's, it's about recognizing what sex is like, it's about recognizing what our bodies are like. So I think our bodies are much more like temples than they are like playgrounds. And I think everybody knows that, like, when sex goes wrong, it doesn't just feel like I've grazed my knee at the playground it it feels like there's been a desecration it it feels like this this temple has been violated right holy space has been violated that's what it feels so i think deep down we know our bodies are more like temples than playgrounds i think we know that that sex is is more like holy fire than it is about like recreation like like we totally know that and therefore Trying to put sex within a boundary that just says, okay, consenting adults. As long as they're consenting adults, it's fine. And I, and I think you just, you just look and, and you think, well, what does consent even mean anymore when everybody's drunk? What does consent even mean anymore when there's, when there's a huge imbalance of economic power or social power? Or even just physicality. I mean, I mean, men are, on average, two to three times. Uh, they have two to three times the upper body strength of women, and 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 we think it's a level play, playing field. Just just talking in, in terms of consent, and I just I just don't think. I just think that that is that is like the cardboard fire pit, and I think the Bible is saying no. There's a there's a much stronger kind of foundation for sex for this holy fire, um, and it, it, to me it just makes it makes more sense that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. And from a, you know, my background as a nutritionist, from a um, physical hormonal point of view, if you look at what what actually happens when two people have sex, there's all these hormones that get released into the body. And in in all honesty, much more so for women, oxytocin and these bonding hormones. So yeah, it really is, you know, playing with fire um, from a, right. just a purely physical point of view as well and, and emotional. So yeah, okay. Right. Interesting stuff, Glenn. Thank you for opening that up. So tell us, um, tell us about what what's on the cards for speak life. So you, as I mentioned, you produce a lot of short, really good quality and really engaging videos on YouTube. And you've got a a podcast, the evangelist podcast as well. So what are you aiming to do with, with all that work? And what's in the pipeline for you?
2: So, I mean, part of my job is going face-to-face and talking to people about Jesus. And so I'll go to universities or schools or churches. will put on big events, and I'll come and speak at those. So those are kind of the, the face-to-face um, speaking uh, gigs that I have. But then, um, yeah, we're kind of online on, on Facebook, Twitter, and, and YouTube, and just trying to Create the sort of content that is meaningful and that people will get excited about and share because you know there's so much video out there, and you know is there space in among the cat videos uh for something that makes you think about the deeper issues in life and we we hope that there is so you know on monday nights we we tackle uh thorny questions and um you know some of them uh you know we've we've done thorny questions and all the stuff that we've we've talked about, Laura, so people can look up stuff on sex and what about you know heaven and hell and things like that so um, and then on Tuesdays, we have a, a conversation uh, uh, over lunch, and that's a live uh, broadcast on Facebook that then goes onto YouTube later. Um, and so people can get me and me and Paul kind of chatting through some of these issues at greater length. And there's the podcast that comes out on a Friday. And we've got some other seasonal events. So we, um, we just got nominated today for an award for uh, some Christmas films uh, that we did last year. So uh, we did a we did a, uh, yeah, a, a time-traveling romantic comedy called Meet the Nativity uh, last year, and, and we got a, an Oscar shortlisted director to, to direct it, and we got a, a professional um, production company from Ealing Studios to, to sort of make this uh, four-part uh, rom-com. And, uh, and we, do, we do things like that. So we're working on Christmas at the moment. We've got a brilliant idea for Christmas. We've got a, a kid goes into a curiosity shop, and he looks into a snow globe, and it's a really dark twisted Gothic snow globe. And he looks, and the central character in the snow globe is him. It's unmistakably him. He's like, what, what is this all about? Well, you'll have to tune in to our Christmas, our Christmas video to, to, to figure out how that one ends. But um, yeah, we do, we do those sort of short videos. We're trying to kind of, if John Lewis, can uh, you know come out with these Christmas videos that sell toasters, uh, can we kind of reclaim Christmas and, and get these videos out that uh, talk a little bit more about the true meaning of Christmas.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I really enjoyed your nativity series last year, so we'll anticipate your new one um, this year. Yeah, fab. Okay, so if anyone wants to buy your new book, so it's Long Story Short and it's at longstoryshort.info, is that the best place?
2: That's right, yeah, yeah.
0: And what about um, Speak Life?
2: Yeah, you can go to speaklife.org.uk uh, is the website. Or if you're on Facebook, the best place to catch up with us is just search for Speak Life UK on Facebook. And there is daily content there. And uh, we'd love to, to say hello to you.
0: Brilliant. Okay, well, thanks so much, Glenn. It's been a really interesting interview. And yeah, I mean, I I'm just so passionate about telling people about Jesus as you are and I think you know on this podcast here we talk about body mind spirit health and and all that's great um but I would say if you know if you're going to take anything out (laughs) from this podcast from trying to improve your health in general it needs to it needs to be based in in a spiritual health and aliveness in your spirit that is gained from, as Glenn has talked about today, a saving faith in Jesus. So Glenn's given us some great easy tips. It's not something that's, you know, only reserved for the spiritually enlightened or the clever the intelligent the wise anything like that it's simply there is a God in heaven that loves you he sent his son to die for you and that son Jesus fully God fully man is extending his hands out to you to come into a relationship with you and so you can simply speak to him Jesus if you're there is is this stuff that Glenn's talking about? Help me understand this stuff. And he will. He'll answer that prayer. And as Glenn said, pick up a Bible. You know, read Glenn's book, long story short, um, that'll help you. So um that would be our encouragement to you today. Um anything else, Glenn, before we wrap up.
2: That's awesome. That's awesome, yes. I I echo all of that.
0: Fab. Well, thanks so much and, and great work you're doing. So yeah, I really appreciate you coming today. I know you're busy, so thanks so much.
2: No worries. It's been fun. Thanks so much, Laura.
0: So that wraps up my interview with Glenn Scrivener today. And I really hope it's made you think about things, these important things in life. If you're already a Christian, I hope this has just edified you and given you some things that you could maybe pass on to other people when they ask you these these deep life questions and your perspective as a Christian. And if you're not yet a Christian, then I'd really urge you to go and think about this stuff as we spoke about, just pray to Jesus, ask him for some guidance on this stuff, ask him for forgiveness and salvation in he will grant you that you can find today's show notes for this episode on my website at laurarimmer.com forward slash zero three eight and that will include all the links that glenn mentioned for his book and speak life and we're going to end as we always do with a quote from the bible in fact three short quotes the first quote is from psalms in it's psalm 14 verses one to three the fool says in his heart there is no god They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then the second quote is from Romans 5.19. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. And finally, John, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God thank you so much for listening to today's episode of eternal health please do just share this with at least one person to get this message out there it's an important message and share this with a friend a family member and they'll appreciate it so thanks for listening i'll speak to you again soon on another episode bye for now
1: Thanks for listening to the Eternal Health Podcast. Go to laurarimmer.com to download your free Optimum Health Scorecard and find out your current health score, plus tips, coaching, and training on how to get slim, healed, and energized. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, and we'll catch you next time on Eternal Health.